0: Hey everyone, welcome to the Southside Church podcast from Chilliwack, British Columbia, Canada. We're praying that hope would rise in your life as you listen to this message today. So, my earliest memory is getting my hand caught in a defrost fan on my father's semi truck when I was four years old. Okay, but to be honest, there's another incident that happened when I was just about two years old that feels like my earliest memory but it's only because the story of the incident was told so many times as I was growing up that I feel like I remember it even though I don't actually remember it okay that was the time that I crashed my dad's police car into a brand new Cadillac okay so I was just about two years old my dad had finished his shift with the RCMP and the only thing that he had yet to do before we could celebrate Christmas together as a family was to bring his police car to the RCMP garage and pick up our family car. And I, I guess because it was Christmas, he decided to take me along. And so I went along for the ride and when we got to the RCMP garage, I think my dad said something like this, whatever you do, Mike, do not touch this lever, that lever being the gear shift along the steering column of his police car. But as soon as he got out, I must have went straight for it. And I pulled it down and somehow, I got his car into reverse. And it was running. So now there's a two year old, joyriding across the Canadian prairies. Now, fortunately for me, my joyride ended quite quickly and quite suddenly as I ran into a brand new Cadillac. Now, it was funny when we told that story years later, but I would imagine that it was less than a holly jolly Christmas for my dad. Okay, but my earliest memory, like what I actually remember, was the time that I stuck my arm way down the defrost tube of my father's Kenworth. So far down, in fact, that I got my hand caught in the fan. And I still remember it. I I remember the shock. I remember the sound that it made. I remember pulling my hand out and grabbing it really, really tightly with my other hand, closing my eyes, willing myself not to cry. And it's funny because if I had to tell you an overriding emotion in that moment, my overriding emotion from my earliest memory would have been shame. I was ashamed. I was ashamed that I was so stupid that uh, I didn't realize that at the end of the defrost tube would be a fan. And I was ashamed that even though I closed my hands and tried for everything I was worth to not cry, that tears slid down my face. I'm not sure exactly what I was expecting from four year old me. You know, like, wow, would you look at this? There's a fan at the end of that tube. Hmm. But I guess I would ask you, what's the overriding emotion from your earliest memories? Is shame in there anywhere? Brene Brown defines shame this way. She says it's an intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love or belonging. An intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love or belonging. So when you look back to some of your earliest memories, is the overriding emotion for you shame? Or maybe a better question would be this. If you look back to some of your most recent memories, is the overriding emotion shame? It got me thinking this week about catchphrases that preachers use. Man, if you've been in church for any time at all, you've probably heard some of them. And if you've been preaching for any time at all, you've definitely used some of them. Preacher catchphrases like this one. Me plus God is always a majority. And I love that. That's great. I mean, Lacks a little bit of context, but, but it's awesome. Or I believe that that mess that you're in right now is one day going to be your message. I believe that test that you're walking through right now is one day going to be your testimony. Or how about this one? When the devil shows up and reminds you of your past, you stand up and remind him of his future. Man, I, I love all of those. I, I, I bet you I've used all of them. But there's one preacher catchphrase that I've never actually used because I've never really understood it. And it's this one new levels, new devils. I've never really understood that. In fact, I heard a preacher just this week say that he didn't understand it either. And it really resonated with me when he said this. My experience is more closely described this way. New levels, same devil. See, let me tell you something that you already know. The devil is not creative. The devil is an imitator, a counterfeiter. Okay, so the devil has had the same playbook since the very, very beginning. And one of the earliest pages on the devil's playbook that he wants to use to diminish and derail the story that you are telling with your life is shame. New levels, same devil, same playbook, same page, same shame that's meant to derail and diminish the story that you are telling with your life. See, because I can't stand here and tell you today, man, like, shame was tough when I was four years old, but thank goodness I turned the page. That wouldn't be true, because when I was five years old, I started riding the school bus when I was in grade one, every day. And from my very first day on the school bus, all the older kids on the bus decided they just didn't like me. And so every single day riding that bus, they would call me names, they would hit me, they would spit on me. And if I had to tell you what was the overriding emotion of those days... It wouldn't be fear, although there was fear. It wouldn't be anger, although there was anger. It wouldn't even be a thirst for revenge, although that was definitely there too. For me, the overriding emotion of those moments was shame. I was ashamed that I was the kind of little boy who warranted that kind of treatment. I was ashamed that the older kids didn't like me. And I was ashamed that their bullying affected me so much. Again, I'm not really sure what I expected from five-year-old me hmm, those kids sure are mean, but I'm not going to let that affect my day. I'm not sure, but I was ashamed that I wasn't able to just bounce off of it. And of course, the shame didn't end on the school bus. Like so many of you, shame followed me in to school. And for so many people, shame is a big part of our school experience. Right, like when I was a real little student, I was ashamed that the teachers all labeled me a behavior problem. I was ashamed of the way that i looked like all the way up until grade nine i was the shortest kid in my class and i was ashamed of that and then between the summer of grade nine and grade 10 i grew a ton i hit puberty and now all of a sudden i'm one of the tallest kids in my class but i'm ashamed because i'm super tall and skinny and i have acne and so many things to be ashamed about in school ashamed that our hair isn't cool enough ashamed that our clothes aren't cool enough ashamed that our friends aren't cool enough ashamed of our shame Like, in a sense, like, shame is self-perpetuating, isn't it? Like, in grade 10, I gave a presentation in front of my English class. And I always loved doing presentations. I always found them pretty easy. But for some reason, I remember doing that presentation, and I started to blush. I have no idea why I started to blush. Maybe there were some cute girls in the class that I was trying to impress. No idea. But I started to blush. And then I looked out and I noticed that a bunch of the other students noticed that I was blushing. And then I noticed them noticing me blushing, which made me blush more. Shame's like that, right? Like, it's self-perpetuating. And like so many of you, I can't sit here and tell you, and then I graduated high school and I never felt shame again because shame quite literally has followed me into my adult life also. Like right now, I'm a preacher. I can't believe I get to do this. I am so absolutely thankful that I get to step up every single week, sometimes more than once, and talk about love and hope and encouragement and truth and challenge and grace. I love it. But I'll tell you, like, it can be difficult sometimes. Like over these last 12 months, during the COVID months, it's been really different. Like, I'm speaking to cameras, right, and, and, and the camera people, they're not really listening to me because their job is to kind of do camera people stuff. For example, they don't even know I'm talking about them right now, okay? So let me tell you something about the camera people. They're not really listening, and the sound person, he's not really listening either because he's more worried about doing sound type stuff. So every once in a while, I'll get here and I'll be speaking and I'll tell a joke and there's no response. And I'll say to the camera people and the sound person, I'll say, Hey, did you hear that joke? And they'll be like, uh, and so I'll tell it again and I'll say, was that funny? Cause I thought it was really funny. And they'll be like, yeah, Mike, like, wow, so funny. And it just, I don't know, just kind of loses something stupid camera people. And then you get to the end of your sermon sometimes and they say, great job, Mike, wow. And there's been so many weeks that I just feel like saying, can I do the whole thing over again? Because there's this shame, right, that comes and you think, man, I'm ashamed of the sermon I preached. It it felt like it was going to be so good an hour and a half ago, but it just didn't come across the way I wanted it to come across. Or you feel ashamed that here you are talking about shame, and yet you still struggle with shame. Like so many of you, I can say this, that Shame has followed me into my adult years, new levels, same devil, same playbook, same page, same shame that the devil wants to use to derail and diminish the story that you are telling with your life. So what do we do? Well, Theodore Roosevelt once said this, it's not the critic who counts not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes up short again and again because there's no effort without error and shortcoming, but who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, And who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who know neither victory nor defeat. That's quite a story. I love it. So who are you in that story? Maybe you say, well, I'm the one in the arena. If you would say that, I would say, I completely agree with you. You are You're the one in the arena. You are. You're the one with the blood and sweat and dust and tears on your face. You're the one who keeps daring greatly. And even if you fall short, you keep striving because you know this. You know that the story that you were born to tell with your life runs through victory, but it also runs through defeat. It runs through success, and it also runs through failure. So even though you get knocked down, you get back up again because you're the one in the arena with the blood and sweat and dust and tears on your face, and you're here, and you're not going anywhere. And that's you, I believe you, I agree with you, you are the one in the arena. But there's another character in this story, right? It's the critic, <laughs> probably more than one. So who are the critics in your life? We well, you might say, well that's easy, it's like people in my family, people in my house, people at work, people at the office, people at school, people on the bus, people online, right? It's, it's amazing how many people online right now seem to have absolutely zero minutes of their day to do anything constructive, to create, to make anything happen, but they seem to have endless amount of time to critique what other people are doing. Those are the people you might say that in your life who most consistently tell you that you can't, you won't, you're not, you'll never. I agree with you that you have critics in your life. I do. But I think it's a little more complicated than that. Because if that was just as simple as it was, there's an easy solution, right? Like the easy solution is change the people that you're hanging out with. Maybe you should anyways. Man, like if you're surrounded by people and all they ever do is tell you that you can't and that you're not and you won't and you'll never, you should probably find some other people to hang out with. You should start surrounding yourself with people who will tell you the truth, but who will also remind you that that mess that you're in right now will one day be your message, that that test that you're going through right now will one day be your testimony, that you plus God is a majority, and that even when the devil comes and shows up and reminds you of your past, you stand up and remind him of his future. That's awesome. You should probably do that. But I think your story is a little more complicated than that. So who are you? Well, you are the one in the arena. You're the one with blood and <clears throat> and sweat and dust and, and tears. You're, you're the one who is daring greatly. You are. I'm so proud of you. And you're the one that even if you fall short, you keep striving because you know that the story that you were born to tell with your life, it runs through victory and it runs through defeat. It runs through success and it runs through failure and even when you get knocked down you get up again because you're the one in the arena blood and sweat and dust and tears on your face and you're not going anywhere and I love that and I'm proud of you and you're also the critic you're the most consistent most compelling critic in your own life and that's where it starts to get a little bit more complicated doesn't it because you can change all the people that you hang out with you can change all the places that you go, but wherever you go, you know what? You're there, and you're your most compelling, most consistent critic. How did that happen? I think there's really only one or two ways that it happens. Number one, it's, it's through failure. Like you, you stuck your hand down a defrost tube one too many times and you failed, and and somewhere along the line, you started to look at all those failures that you had in your life, and you decided that those weren't events anymore, that that was actually your identity, that you were a failure. Or maybe it's because of trauma. Like, remember what Brene Brown said. Brene Brown said that shame is an intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we are flawed here's what's crazy there's some people who are watching this right now and you've come to see yourself as deeply flawed not because of anything you've done but because of things that have done been done to you things that have happened to you sickness abuse neglect bullying and somewhere along the line you're a little bit like me on a school bus all those years ago and your overriding feeling isn't one of anger or fear or even a thirst for revenge. Your overriding emotion is actually, believe it or not, shame. And it's so heartbreaking because whether it's failure or whether it's trauma that's brought you to this moment, when shame begins to uh, write your story, it always causes us to exit the arena and settle for small right? It's, it's new levels, but it's same devil, same playbook, same page, same shame that he's still using today to diminish and derail the story that you were meant to tell with your life. What shame is going to do is it's going to cause you to exit the arena and settle for small, right? Because you're going to look at these moments that you have, these opportunities you have, these, these, these chances you have to step up to, to risk a worthy cause a, a great devotion something that you have an opportunity and you're going to look and you're going to assume this you're going to assume this oh that would be uh, that would be something that a non-flawed person could do but not someone deeply flawed like me or maybe you've got to the point in your life where you just think man I can't stand this shame anymore So if anything comes your way, if any opportunity comes your way, if any moment comes your way, and there's absolutely any risk that you might fail, you step back, you exit the arena, and you settle for small. You settle for the middle lane of mediocrity because you just don't want to feel that anymore. And here's the thing, this is what I could say to you, and it's true. I could say this, that when you think that way, when you settle for small, when you exit the arena, you lose. But here's the truth, we all lose when you do that. We all lose. The Apostle Paul said it this way in 2 Corinthians 6, I can't tell you how much I long for you to enter this wide open, spacious life. We didn't fence you in. The smallness you feel comes from within you. Your lives aren't small, but your are living them in a small way I'm speaking as plainly as I can and with great affection open up your lives live openly and expansively you say who am I to be great I say who are you not to be you're the world's foremost expert at being you I talked about this last week. I said this, that that God is writing a story with history and it's a story of redemption. And the way that he does it is he he weaves your story and my story and her story and his story together. And so there's a U-shaped hole in the middle of my story. There's a U-shaped hole in the middle of history, in the middle of this world. And the problem is it, it wasn't meant to be filled by mediocre You. By playing it safe you by exiting the arena you it was meant to be filled by the you, you. the daring greatly you the the blood and sweat and dust and, and tears on your face version of you. So I implore you today on behalf of the world please step back into the arena new levels same devil same playbook, same page, same shame that he wants to use to derail and diminish the story that you were supposed to tell, that you were born to tell, that you were created to tell with your life. So what now? There's a story that comes to my mind. Years ago, I, uh, I led a men's group, and it's kind of embarrassing to say. Uh, the men's group was called Real Men. And I think that the real was like an acronym for something. I don't remember exactly what it was. You know, rugged, extravagant, athletic, loving men. I don't know. I, okay, I, I, I don't know what the acronym was, but I think it was one. So real men, real men. But we, we were just talking about being husbands and being dads and being friends, you know. It was a really unique group because there was about 20 guys in the group, ranging in age from about 22 to 62 years old everybody was married but some had been married you know 40 years and some had been married four months i just remember in one of our earlier meetings i said man just before we start everybody tell me how you're doing and the first guy went and he said i gotta tell you i'm doing great i had an awesome workout this morning which is amazing because i was kind of bummed out with the canucks losing last night and all and i still able to power through and have a workout You know, the second guy went, he said, I'm really stressed right now because I can't decide whether to buy a Ford or a Chevy pickup truck. And the third guy went and he said, to be honest with you guys, I barely made it to the meeting tonight because I'm just tired. I had a really, really bad sleep last night. And we kind of went around that way until we got to the seventh guy. And the seventh guy said something like this. He said, to be honest, I'm really, really struggling right now. He said, the good news is, I haven't used drugs or alcohol in about six weeks. The bad news is, the damage that's been done by my addiction has left my marriage potentially irreparable. It was so intense. Honestly guys, at that point, I didn't even know that he had a problem with drugs and alcohol until that very moment. And it got really quiet and it got really still across the room after he shared. And then the guys started to speak and encouraged him and offered to pray for him and help him whatever way they could. And then, and, then, and then after we prayed for him, I remember the guy that had gone first put his hand up and he said, hey, do you mind if I go again? And all of a sudden, everyone started being way more real. And so I want to talk to you about what I think it's going to take for you and me to get back into the arena. And in honor of my nerdy title from a men's group all those years ago, it's three, uh, three phrases that involve the word real. So here's number one, be real. So what's happened in your life? What are, what, are, what are the failures in your life? What's the trauma in your life? What are the things that have happened to you in your life? See, here's what I think. I think that when we hold those things close and don't tell anybody, I think they actually gain power. I think you need to have a person or a couple of people in your life that you can go and you can share Like this is my failure. This is my trauma. This is where I'm, this is where I'm really, really at. These are my struggles right now. And I really believe that when you do that, when you expose those things to the light of day, um, they lose some of their power. So step one is be real. The second step would be get real. Can I be honest with you? We know this, you know, this, listen to me, listen to me, you know, this, That failure was an event. It is not your identity. It's not. You know that. So don't allow the devil. New levels. Same devil. Same playbook. He's going to come at you and he's going to tell you it's your identity, but it's not. We know this. Get real. Those things that happen to you That's not who you are. Those things, those are things that happen to you. They do not define you. They will not define you. They cannot define you. You know why I know that? I know that Jesus Christ, the son of God, stepped into human history. He died for you. Your sins are forgiven. Your failures are no more. You have a clean slate. And he died so that you could begin to experience healing. Step by step, moment by moment. But at the soul level, you're as right as right can be right now. First of all, we got to be real. We got to speak exactly where we're at. And, and, and number two, we got to get real. We got we, we to stop thinking like people who are going to think small or settle for small. And we got to start thinking like people who are going to step back into the arena. And thirdly and finally, remember, remember, this is for real. New levels, same devil, same playbook, same shame. I'm gonna read you something of Ephesians chapter 6. Listen to this. God is strong and He wants you strong. So take everything the Master has set out for you: well-made weapons of the best materials, and put them to you so you will be able to stand up to everything the devil throws your way. This is no weekend. War that we'll walk away from and forget about in a couple of hours. This is for keeps. A life or death fight to the finish against the devil and all his angels. Be prepared. You're up against far more than you can handle on your own. Take all the help you can get. Every weapon God has issued so that when it's all over but the shouting, you'll still be on your feet. Truth, righteousness, peace, faith, and salvation are more than words. That's it. New levels, same devil, same shame that would call you out of the arena and settling for small, but that ain't you. So today, right now, on behalf of all of us, I issue an invitation. Let's go. Let's go. Back into the arena. Let's go. And just as I close today, I just want to pray for us all. I want to tell you, honestly, you're not defined by your failure. You're not defined by your hurts. You're defined by Jesus Christ. And he says, you are fully, completely, and totally loved. You are as right as right can be right now. And I just don't know if you've ever heard that before. I don't know if you've ever acknowledged that before. I, I don't know if you've ever taken a hold of that before, but I know that one of the steps back into the arena is to take a hold of that clean slate that Jesus has given us, that power that we have through his resurrection so I want to give you the opportunity to do that right now. If that's you and today you want to say, man, I want to get back into the arena and I want, I want Jesus' help to do it. So i want to give you the chance to pray and ask for his help. So let's pray. So Jesus, today, right now, I thank you that you died on the cross so that I am not defined by my failure. I am not defined by my trauma. I'm defined by you that I'm fully, completely, and totally loved. And I'm so thankful that you rose again. Jesus, thank you thank you that you give me the strength today, tomorrow, and to live forever where the best will always be yet to come. So I pray that you give me the strength today right now to step back into the arena and become everything that I was created to be, to tell the story that I was created to tell. I pray this all in your name. Amen. Amen. So if that, if that was your first time ever praying and inviting Jesus into your battle, I want, to, I want you to do me a big favor. I would just love it If you could text the keyword life, L-I-F-E, to 604-670-3040. We don't want to stalk you, but we do want to support you. Because God's writing this story, right? And it's called redemption. And he weaves your story and my story together. And so we all need to support each other. One last thing, just before I go. Corinne wrote a book. It's called Wake Up, Walk On. You need a copy. It's amazing. If you want a copy of that book, and honestly, why wouldn't you? She's amazing. I did the devotions in this book two times last year, and I'm going to be doing them again. I'm going to be getting a book. Uh, You can text the keyword book to 604-670-3040. I say that to you only because I really think it's going to help. I love you guys a lot, and we'll see you next week. I can't wait. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. And to stay up to date with all things Southside, follow at Southside underscore church on Instagram. We love you guys. The best is yet to come.